0: As we um, get started this morning, I want to first of all thank you. I'm just am so thankful for being a part of such an incredible church family. This past Thursday night, my son-in-law called us about 8 o'clock and said our grandson Noah, who is four years old, was having some unusual symptoms. And so we called um, some friends who always are there to help give us proper diagnosis and They told us that we needed to get him to the emergency room because it sounded like he had something called testicular torsion, which is very painful, and and it requires emergency surgery. And so um, my son-in-law took Noah to the emergency room. Our daughter, Mary, was at our house, and so we had to drive quickly to Charlotte. They transferred him from the local hospital to the hospital the Children's Hospital in Charlotte, they did two ultrasounds at the hospital before they transferred them. They did another ultrasound at the, ho- at the Children's Hospital, and, and this is how God works. It really is a, a God thing, because you were praying, um, many other of our friends were praying, and, um, and the initial ultrasound showed very clearly that there was no blood flow, they were going to have to have emergency surgery. The other two ultrasounds show there was blood flow. And they did not need to do emergency surgery anymore. And so um, they were able to send Noah home about 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. So praise God for that. He's going to have to have surgery, but it's no longer emergency surgery. I tell you that to thank you for your prayers and to tell you that if you're healthy, don't go to emergency rooms. Because if you do, most likely you're going to pick something up. I don't know if that's where I picked something up, but I know I picked something up because Friday evening I started feeling awful and I still feel pretty puny. Sonny Holmes is a good friend of mine. He's a godly man. He is a gifted pastor. Um, He was in commercial banking and hospital administration before he answered the call to ministry. He answered that call in the late 70s. He started pastoring churches in the early 80s. In 2001, he answered the call to come on staff at the South Carolina Baptist Convention. He was on their staff from 2001 to 2003. I tell you that because while he was on the staff at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, he was a member of Northside. And so some of you who have been longtime members at Northside may know Sonny and Harriet Holmes. They are dear folk. In 2010, November of 2010, Sonny was elected president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Little did he know when he was elected president that during that year as he was serving, his life would change forever. He would experience that day. On July the 18th, around 2 o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning, his 33-year-old son Brian was shot and killed on America Street in Charleston. Sonny told me that, that when they woke up that Monday morning, they had not been informed of what, of what had happened, and um, they assumed they were waking up to just another Monday morning. I want you to listen to what Sonny said. He said, each moment of that day is embedded into our personal hard drives. We've rehearsed them over and over again, desiring nothing more than to learn from them And perhaps find some understanding and comfort that had been overlooked at the time. Even as we sought to comprehend the unthinkable, there was a notion that we should pay attention because God was going to show us something. The weight of grief and the realities of how Brian had died were enough to shut down our operating systems. However, as we prodded through the formalities of that day and the ones to follow, There was an overriding sense that we were now positioned to learn something profound. Now, I really didn't know Sonny before this happened. After this tragedy, I had the opportunity, the privilege to get to know Sonny and his wife Harriet. And and I can say with all honesty and all integrity, there is not a more godly man on the face of the planet. And In the midst of the most horrific day and days, he has been faithful to God, he has honored God, and he has trusted God. And so I want to ask you a question. How are you going to respond when that day comes? How are you going to respond when your life falls apart? When your worst nightmare becomes a reality, how are you going to respond? Because the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us will experience that day someday. Each and every one of us will will most likely experience the death of a spouse, the, the death of a child. We will experience... The news that we have been given a fatal diagnosis. We will go through the pain of having someone tell us they don't love us anymore, that they want a divorce. We will, without warning, lose our job and our source of income. We will face that day. And the truth of the matter is, most often, we can't keep that day from happening. No matter what we do, no matter how we plan, no matter what safety measures we put in place, that day is still going to happen. You see, we can't often change our circumstances, but what we can do is we can change how we respond to our circumstances. And here's what I know. When that day comes, that day is either going to make us bitter or it's going to make us better depending on how we respond and who we know. Henry Blackaby, who is the author of Experiencing God, said this. He said, when you face a crisis of belief, and and suffering and pain and heartache is a crisis of belief. When you face a crisis of belief, what you do next reveals what you really believe about God. Did you hear that? When you face that crisis of belief, when you go through the difficult times, the hard times, when you face that day, that day will reveal what you really believe about God. Now if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. When suffering comes, and it will, it will either pull us to God or it will push us away from God. You see we can't control if we suffer but we can control whether our suffering will pull us to God or push us further from God. Now when our suffering pulls us to God the result of that is worship. When our suffering pushes us away from God the result of that is worry, fear, bitterness. And here's what I know with authority with 100% certainty, when you react to pain and suffering with worship, it will always make you better, not bitter. Here was Job. Job lost it all. And yet he never did what Satan was convinced that he would do. He never turned his back on God. He never cursed God. Now, before we go any further, I want to review for just a moment, because I think it's important for us to understand where we are in this journey of trying to understand the book of Job. Two weeks ago, we discovered that that the key question, the question that Job answers is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The truth of the matter is, We're all bad. We're all sinners. We live in a sinful world and because we live in a sinful world and there are sinful people, bad things are going to happen. That's just a fact of life. The question of Job isn't why do bad things happen? The question of Job is this, when the bad things happen, when the blessings happen, stop falling from heaven and all it seems is that we are getting the storm clouds of life when that happens will we still honor God will we still serve God will we still love God that's the question that the book of Job answers and that's the question that you have to answer when things fall apart when when the blessings are no longer being rained upon your life will you still love God Last week, we, we discovered we've got an enemy, and our enemy is Satan, and, and he desires nothing else other than to destroy your life. Jesus said it this way. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. His desire is to get you to curse God, to turn your back on God. And he will use every tool imaginable to make that happen. We also discovered last week that, that Satan can't do anything apart from God's permission. And, and that's tough for some of us to comprehend. That's tough for some of us to understand. Why does God ever allow Satan to touch us, to, to test us, to cause bad things to come into our life? And, and we discovered the reason is because these tough things, these bad things, these horrific things, when properly understood, can help us grow. And they can accomplish things for God's glory. Even the worst of things. But this morning, what I want us to do is begin to answer the question of, of how did Job make it? Because when we, when we see what Job went through and we discover that in, in none of the things that he experienced did he turn his back on God, we need to examine how he did it. I mean, because I believe with all my heart, your being here this morning says that you want to be like Job. When the tough times come into your life, when when the difficulties come into your life, you want to be able to face them like Job did. And so how do we do that? Well, this morning we're going to begin to look at, at some characteristics that are discovered in Job's life that helped him make it through the most horrific days of his life. And here's the first thing. When tragedy strikes, when difficulty comes, when that day happens to us, our first response is to worship. Let me say that again. When the bad things of life happen, the very first response we should have is to worship God. When you experience pain, When you experience suffering, when you experience heartache, your first response should be to worship. Now listen to Job 1, verses 20 through 22. We've gone through this story, and and you know that at this point in the story, Job had, had lost all of his possessions, all of his wealth, all of his servants had died, and all of his children had died. He was left with nothing. And this is what it says Job did, beginning in verse 20. Job stood. He tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head. He fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb. I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Casting Crowns has a song entitled Praise You in the Storm. I want you to listen to some of the words of that song. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. And as the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'll praise you in the storm. I will lift my hands that you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you. In the storm in Psalm 13 David is in a pit and we don't know what part of David's life this took place in some say that it took place when when Saul was trying to kill him others say that it took place after Absalom his son had rebelled and had tried to take over the kingdom we don't know what was happening in David's life what we do know is that he was at the end of his rope he was in agony. He was in misery. Emotionally, he was spent. I want you to listen to what he says in Psalm 13. He says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? Every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will surely die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And so, as you read that, I mean, it's obvious David was in a bad place, wasn't he? It's obvious that he was suffering. He was in pain. He was in torment. But I want you to listen to what it goes on to say. It says, but, in the midst of all this, but, I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. David is going through the ringer. His world is falling apart, and yet he says, I will trust God. I will praise your name. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what Job Did I want you to understand this morning that if you want to make it through the valleys and the storms of life, you have to learn to worship God. But here's the deal. What most of us think of worship is not the biblical idea of worship. Now when we read these three verses in in Job chapter 1, Job gives us four characteristics of biblical worship that I believe you need to understand if your worship is going to help you make it through the difficulties of life. Here's truth number one. Worship is a choice. Worship is a choice. Some of us have the idea that we worship when things are going great. We worship when, when good things are happening. We worship when we... When we find our spouse, we worship when we get a job, we worship when we get a good diagnosis, we worship when our prayers are answered the way we want. But the Bible teaches that we worship in spite of our circumstances, not because of our circumstances. Job's life had been completely turned upside down. Everything, everything was taken from him, and yet... He worshipped. He didn't worship because things were going great. He worshipped in spite of his world falling apart. I've heard people say before, I don't feel like worshipping. Can I give you my response to that? Well, worship until you feel like it. Did you hear me? You don't worship because you feel like it. You worship, and worship changes your feelings. Notice what Job said. It says, Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, and it goes on to say, he worshiped. Now, tearing your robe and shaving your head were signs of immense grief. And that's what Job was feeling, grief, pain, sorrow, and yet he worshipped. I mean, anybody can worship when things are going great. The question is, can you worship when your world is falling apart? Worship is a choice. By the way, I've heard people say things like, I just couldn't worship there. The music was too loud or the music wasn't loud enough. The lights were too bright or it was too dark. I don't like the guitars and the drums or I don't like the pipe organ. I mean, we say all kinds of things and we say these things keep us from worshiping. Let me tell you something this morning. Hear me, church. Things can't keep you from worshiping. Only your heart can keep you from worshiping. Because worship is a choice that we make because of who God is. Too often we equate worship with a feeling we get. And, and I got to tell you, I'm all about feelings. That's why we work hard to create an environment where we can sense the presence of God here emotionally. But here's what you need to acknowledge the same emotional feeling that you can get in a good worship service you can get watching a Hollywood movie the same emotional high you can get from a worship experience you can get from a secular concert worship isn't an emotion worship is a choice sometimes the feelings we bring to our worship are not joy Sometimes there's are grief and pain and brokenness, but I want you to hear me When we come to God in worship regardless of how we feel he heals our hurt Even when he doesn't answer our why Worship Is a choice we choose to worship regardless Of what's going on in our life? Regardless of how we feel second Worship is surrender. Notice what Job said. It says, Job fell to the ground. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Now, don't miss this. The Bible says that Job fell to the ground. Now, falling to the ground was symbolically surrendering to someone else. When Job fell to the ground, he was literally saying, God... I'm not in control you are and I trust you and I surrender to you in the midst of my pain let me make something very clear there is never true worship without surrender We can experience an emotional high, we can sing out, we can raise our hands, we can clap, we can shed lots of tears, but if we do not leave surrendered, we have not worshipped. Notice what Job said, he said, naked I came, naked I will leave, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. That's surrender. It's recognizing God is in control, God is sovereign, and even when we don't like what He does... Even when we don't like where He leads, we are surrendered to Him. Uh, this morning as I was doing some devotional reading, I, I came across a quote by Max Lucado that said this sovereignty, and sovereignty simply means God's in control. Sovereignty gives the saint the inside track to peace. Others see the problems of the world and and wring their hands we see the problems of the world and we bend our knees worship at its most basic level is surrendering to God and his will is saying God I am not my own I am bought with a price whatever you say I will do whatever happens I will trust wherever you lead I will go and that is important because there are some of you here this morning who are, who are headed into a storm. You're headed for that day, and you're not trusting God. You're not surrendered to Him. There, there are some of you here this morning who are not surrendered to His Word. And if you're not surrendered to His Word, you're not surrendered to His will, and you're not surrendered to Him. You say you love him, you say you worship him, but, but his word tells you specifically to do something and, and you say no. You haven't surrendered. If God is God, and he is, and if God is good, and he is, and if God's got our best interest at heart, and he does, and if God's in control, and he is, then you need to surrender to him and trust him. I love what it says in Romans 12.1. Paul says this, he says so dear brothers and sisters I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. It says give your bodies, it's saying give your all. I plead you to give your all to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You, You see worship isn't isn't about raising our hands and swaying back and forth and clapping to the music. Worship is about surrendering our lives and trusting God regardless of what's happening in the world. Worship is a choice. Worship is surrender. Third, worship is God-focused. Notice that last phrase Job said. He said, praise The name of the Lord. Now that is important. The word praise literally means in the Hebrew, bless. It's the word for bless. It's barak. It's the word that we use when we say we want God to bless us. But here, Job is saying bless the name of the Lord. Listen very carefully. Worship isn't about getting God to bless me. Worship is about me blessing God. Too many of us have this idea that worship is about getting something from God. But the truth of the matter is, worship is about giving to God. Well, we don't come here on Sunday morning for us. We come here on Sunday morning for Him. We come here, here to honor Him, to worship Him, to serve Him, to bow down before Him, to give Him our all because He is God and he is worthy of our worship by the way that's that's why we have this altar time the altar time is a time for us to come and give it all to God that's why we make a big deal of giving in our service you Now, some churches they put these buckets at the back of the church and say when you leave you can just drop your money in the bucket and some of you may say I wish we'd do that we're never gonna do that look at me we're never going to do that and here's why because our giving is an act of worship and when we give of our resources it is just a, a symbol if you will of us giving our all to Him. Because understand, hear me, if God doesn't have my resources, He doesn't have my heart. If God doesn't have my resources, He doesn't have my mind. I mean, it's easy for me to pull money out of my wallet. It's easy for me to write a check. We do that because, in part, it shows that everything we've got Is his. Worship is a choice. Worship is surrender. Worship is God-focused, not me-focused. And finally, worship is transformative. Notice that, that last phrase in verse 22. It says, in all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. It literally says in the Hebrew, Job neither sinned nor blamed God. In the worst possible moment of Job's life, he didn't... Turned his back on God. He didn't curse God. He he didn't sin against God. I mean, from an earthly perspective, it looked as if God had abandoned him, but he didn't abandon God. He didn't blame God. How? I, I mean, listen. Some of you have experienced far less than Job ever did And you've turned your back on God. Job lost it all. Never once did he sin. Never once did he blame God. How? Well, I believe in part it was because of his worship. He chose to worship in the midst of the storm. He surrendered it all to God. He was focused on not what God would do for him, but what he could give to God. And in the midst of all that, here's what I believe. God showed up. God showed up. And and I believe that that as Job worshipped there in the dirt, he got a glimpse of God. And he was reassured that in the midst of his hurt and his pain and his suffering, God was still on his throne. God was still good and God was still loving. How are you going to make it through the storm? You're not until you learn to worship. And you've got to worship not because you feel like it. You've got to worship because you know you need it. Because of who God is so here's what I ask you to do this morning make a commitment to worship make a commitment to worship privately during the week and make a commitment to worship corporately with your family of faith because if you ever get out of worship you're in danger you're in danger of falling to the enemy's lies. When you do, you'll turn your back on God. You'll sin. When the bad things happen, you'll blame God. You don't want that. So worship. I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I'd be amiss before we went any further <coughs> I didn't give an invitation because the truth of the matter is there's no way there's no way anyone can ever really worship in the storm apart from first of all knowing the one who went through the storm so that you and I can make it through the storm and that's Jesus See, Jesus went through all the pain and suffering that the world could throw at him because he loved us. And he did it so that we could be set free. So that we could know him. So that his spirit could come live in us and we could literally be transformed. So if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, I'm here to tell you, the first step for you to give your life to Jesus. And so if that's what you need to do, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now with a a sincere heart. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me for all my sins. So sorry for my rebellion. So sorry for living life my way, for acting like I'm God. Forgive me. Father, I know you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to this earth to die for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave defeating sin and defeating death on my behalf. And today, right here, I'm trusting in Jesus to save me. Jesus, come into my life. Take control. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.